Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Thank you all for being here today. Welcome to Grave Top Church, where we believe Jesus is alive and that he didn't just raise from the dead so that we can be bad people and the good people, but that we were saved from death and now we have new life in him. Today, we are continuing our series about voices. Someone say voices. Voices. Everyone has voices inside their head, right? (laughs) Ever think that you're crazy before? Well, in this new series... Uh, this series that we've been going through with voices, um, today we're going to be talking about what they think, what they say. Look at your neighbor and say, what do they say? What do they say? say? Yeah. I want to ask you this question. Do you care about what people think? Do you care about what people think? Initially, we've been conditioned to believe that, no, of course I don't care what people think. I want to say that. You want to say that, but I think that there's a part of us that does care about what people think. Think about any time that you've been nervous to ask a question at a store, if you've felt anxious um, anxious about going to any location or calling a business on the phone and you get any little bit of nervousness because you don't know what to say. Anyone ever gone through that before? There's some people I've talked to where they've felt uh, too anxious to even order pizza. It, it's a real thing that we, we get so anxious and nervous. And what is the root of it is because we do care what people think. You wouldn't feel nervous. You wouldn't feel any kind of anxiety if you had no care what people thought about you. Does that make sense? And going more in depth about this, even when it comes to our faith, I remember one time very clearly I was at LSU campus in Louisiana and I was doing like cold witnessing cold. You know, they have cold calling and and business world. This is cold witnessing, just cold evangelism. And I was going up to random college students and asking them if they believed in heaven or hell. And I'd ask them if there was a heaven, do you think you'd go there? (laughs) It's very, very in your face. Uh, I wasn't like, you know, yelling at them, but it was very like confrontational. And there's three guys I talked to one time, and I went through this whole process where I would show them that they, even though we all think that we're a good person and that we could just earn our way to heaven, I just used the Ten Commandments to show them that we've all broken all ten of the commandments compared to what Jesus says, and that there's no way we can earn a right into heaven when we've committed so many crimes. And I asked them, you know what God did so that you wouldn't have to pay for those crimes? He's like, no. One of them said, yeah. So it was Jesus dying on the cross. And I asked them, do, you, do any of you want to make a decision today to put your trust into him? And there's one guy who's just looking dead in my eyes. And he was sitting in the middle of his friends. And he was just nodding yes. And he was, you could just see the soberness in his face. And while he was nodding yes, one of his friends next to him said, Man, I, you made complete sense, and I get it. I've never saw it that way before, but honestly, I'm just not ready to give up all the partying that I'm doing right now. I'm not ready to, to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to just, if anything, I'm going to just like get serious with God later in my life. And he's just straight out. 
said, I'm not going to do that today. I'm not ready. And the other friend said, yeah. And the friend that was saying yes, I looked at him and said, so you're saying that none of you want to do that? What about you? And he kind of looked at his friends and he just looked at the ground and shook his head. And it was, it was terrifying to me to know that this one guy cared so much about what his friends thought that even though he believed something to be true and was ready for a change in his life, because of the thoughts of what other people would think, he decided to refrain and he, start, he decided to not do something he believed in. When you look at even crazy experiences in history, when you look at Nazi Germany, when you look at the Holocaust, when people are interviewed after the, the whole ordeal, there's so many people that just followed blindly even though they believed it was wrong because everyone was doing it. It was so terrifying to be the one person to say no. So when we think about what do they think, what they think, what they think, I want to start off with this scripture in, cha- in Matthew chapter 11, verse 7 through 9. This is Jesus talking. He says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, he's more than a prophet. Am I reading? I was reading the wrong verse. Um, Or is it the right one out there? Good. And so this verse, what it's saying, it's talking about John. He's saying, what were you looking for? Were you looking for someone that was just like everybody else? He says, no, you're looking for a guy in the wilderness. And, and this has a, uh, uh, before we get in, we're going into our first point, which is a love-hate relationship. And we're going to look at Jesus specifically, a love-hate relationship. Continuing on in, in what Jesus is saying in those verses, going down to verse 16, it says, To what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs. And you didn't mourn for John didn't spend his time eating and drinking that. Uh, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So Jesus just gives this this parable saying you guys are never pleased. There's nothing anyone can do that you would be satisfied with. John is fasting all the time and he, he's doing all the all the these things that seem crazy to do. And he and you say uh, and you complain about all that he does. Now, the son of man is the opposite. And he spends his time here celebrating with the people eating and drinking. And you say that I'm a, a drunkard and that I'm a friend of sinners. That I'm this this horrible person. So he's just showing them that no matter what anyone does, you're never going to be satisfied. Think about the relationships that are not good in your life right now, whether it's a family member or a friend. And think about how when you ever think about a situation with them and say there's a there's a specific circumstance that might come to pass and you start thinking to yourself, man, if they show up the nerve 
the nerve if they show up here. I, I, man, if they got here, I would be so mad. But then if they didn't show up, what would you say? I knew they weren't going to show up. I can't believe, I knew they didn't care. They would never be able to win anyway because of your pretense. And the same way with those other people too. And with Jesus, he was admired one moment and hated the next. There is a, literally a moment where when he was coming into Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey and all the people were laying down palm branches just so that his feet or even the donkey's feet wouldn't have to touch the floor. But just like a king entering the land, they're laying down palm branches and singing praises saying, oh, great. Here comes Hosanna. And they're singing all these, all these spiritual songs celebrating him. And, and soon after that, when he is when the the Pharisees have uh, brought Jesus and they're yelling, "Crucify him!" One minute they're singing "Hosanna in the highest," the next minute they're yelling, "Crucify him!" How quickly can an opinion change? I mean, isn't that terrifying to see how fast they flipped? Maybe you have a family member or a friend, so an acquaintance, that coworker. Where it seems like they're bipolar, right? I think everyone is mildly bipolar, to be honest. Some more than others, but I think we all can flip a switch pretty fast. See, what, made, what, what Jesus understood about people is that in John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, it says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration... Many began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them. But Jesus, we're always supposed to trust people. It says, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. This just shows us that Jesus is a realist, right? I, my wife makes fun of me sometimes and says that I can be kind of pessimistic. And I tell her, baby, I'm just a realist. And, and I can now have scripture to confirm that real <laughs> being that way is okay. It says that Jesus knew how people are. What are people like? We're fickle. Little things can make us not talk to a relative for years. Uh, something a person does, a good friend of yours, if they say one thing or if they don't show up to a certain thing, they do one thing wrong, you'll stop. You'd cut them out completely. You'll leave. I work with high school students all the time. And I was talking to this one young person uh, a while back. And they were telling me, I just can't believe my friend did this. And it was, honestly, it was a petty thing. But to them, it was an important thing. And when you're working with young people, you never, you never tell them what they care about is not important. And so I was, you know, sympathizing and telling, you know, it's, it's okay. That, you know, I'm sure they didn't mean to do that to you. And this, this person was so sad. No, if they really cared about me, they would have never done this. And I just try to tell them again, I really don't think that they intentionally try to hurt you. They, they, didn't, they probably don't even realize how upset you are. But they, no, I, I know what has to be done. They can't be my friend anymore. I just need to stop talking to them. And she, she just got done telling me how they have been friends for years. And rather than conversating about it or confronting it, I'm going to just cut it off. 
I can't deal with this. See, we have this love-hate relationship, not only with people with us, but us with other people. And we're just so ready to throw them, throw them to the side. And don't get me wrong, people are just as ready to throw you to the side too. But Jesus is showing us that people are so fickle and that they will praise you one moment and hate you the next. And because of this, because Jesus knew this, he knew that he should do what was right regardless of what people would say, regardless of the way people would treat him, regardless of the consequences. He already knew that he couldn't take the praises of man too seriously. He knew not to take the opinions of others too seriously, not to take it to heart. When you read through the book of Proverbs, it tells you consistently to, that rumors are like dainty morsels that sink deep into our heart. Well, if you imagine bread, when you put water to it, it just expands and expands and expands. That's what a rumor is like inside of a heart. It's one little crumb but starts turning into this huge loaf of bread. Like, I can't believe it. And just soaks up all those negative thoughts. And see, Jesus did what was right regardless of the opinions of others. When people praise him, he's like, all right, well, thanks. But he didn't make any decisions based off of those praises. When people hated him, he didn't change what he was going to do based off of the, the opinions of others. From the moment that he was turning over tables in the temple because he knew that turning God's church into a money market account was not right. He's flipping tables. He didn't care what people thought about him. And when they were crucifying him, he was yelling out, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. See, whether good or bad, he didn't let what other people have done, the treatment of others, determine what was going to be right or wrong in his heart. He just did what he knew he ought to do. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And the reason that we have to always know that is because people will love you and hate you. And so why change your course? Why change your morals for someone that might really like you at that moment but will hate you the next day? Don't change yourself so that somebody will like you. It's not worth it. Now look, let's, let's talk about misfits. Anyone like that band, The Misfits? Yeah, rock and roll? The Misfits. What is a misfit? It means you just don't fit in social status. You don't fit in with a group of people. You just don't fit in. Anyone here not fit into a place before? Almost everyone here? I mean, if... If you don't raise your hand, you're going to be a misfit. <laughs> let, me, let me read you all about John, John the Baptist. It says, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea, all over the Jordan Valley, went out to see him and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? <laughs> He's crazy. <laughs> Here, all these people, his ministry is growing. 
What a normal person would do when the Pharisees and Sadducees come up is they would start handing out their business cards. Like, oh, yeah, God has been moving. God's been doing a great thing here at City Life. It's been awesome. You, yeah, come on in, take a seat. Hey, could y'all move out of this seat so that they could sit here? That's what normally a person would do. But, but John's a misfit. He starts yelling at these people, calling them vipers, hypocrites. That's mean. <laughs> That's cold-blooded. I mean, he tells the religious leaders, when they're coming to him, he says, who told you to, that God's wrath is coming for you? That you show up here like this. He's almost mocking them. He's talking smack. He's raised on the streets. <laughs> this is gang talk he's doing. See, what makes John a misfit is that he's completely different from those around him. He was not a conformist. He didn't, he didn't wear the latest trend. He, it's almost as if he didn't care about people's opinions at all. And I believe that there's a level of our Christianity to where we have to give up this kind of opinion, this idea, this desire of what people think about us. I mean, me as a pastor now, I, I struggle with that. There's often times where I struggle what, what other leaders think of me, what other uh, people twice my age think of me. And there's been times where they told me what they thought of me. And there weren't kind words. <laughs> And it, there's part of me where I have to pray about and, and bring to God to where I desire the affirmation of these people that I should be, that I would normally look up to. And I'll even try to talk different, sound different, to make them, make them think that I'm doing something that they would like. Someone here, please relate with that. Maybe you even talk to your parents every now and then and you kind of talk a little bit. Di- a little bit different than you would to your friends. You just make it sound like they would really admire what you're doing. Try to make them proud. John just really didn't care. Where, where the religious leaders, they probably told him like, you're in way over yet. You don't even know what you're doing. You might as well just give up and quit. John just talks smack to them. <laughs> And he just keeps doing what he believes he should be doing. He just didn't choose to regard the opinion of men greater than the opinion of God. He lived in the wilderness and ate wild, uh, locusts and wild honey. And he wore clothes made of camel hair. It's not fashionable. It's definitely not better than Denny's, Right? I don't know if I could live on a diet of locusts and wild honey. But John is so, he's, I mean, it seems like he's just the least opinionated person in the world. It's where he doesn't even care about what he's eating. He's just a person that, I just got to do what I got to do. I just got to eat because I have to eat. He doesn't even care. He's just, he's just so focused on the kingdom and God's mission and calling for his life that he doesn't even care what he has to do to get there. And in the same way that his clothes was coarse camel hair, it's like, it's like he's just trying to be uncomfortable in his life. 
And it's almost like he, he had to remind himself not to get comfortable to this world so that he would always be looking to the world to come. With his diet, with even the clothes that he wore, he just didn't want comfortability. He didn't want to settle into this temporary place. And even the way that his, it, it's, a, it's almost prophetic of how his, the clothes he wore was so coarse because he just rubbed people the wrong way. And I believe when you're just sold out for your calling in God, that you just rub people the wrong way. It's inevitable. It, and it's going to make people just irritated with you to where they might just try to have a, just a normal conversation and you say something spiritual in your life and they're just like, why do you got to say stuff like that? Why do you got to do stuff like that? And you're not even doing it directly to them, but just because of the, who you are and what you stand for, it's irritating to those around you. And the thing that's difficult about being this kind of misfit is that people will come and people will go. See, with John, the average person would go to him for that baptism and they would never come back to him again. Even his own disciples, when Jesus showed up, John got everything started. He did all the work. And when Jesus showed up, he said, that's the Messiah over there. And it says that all the disciples left and followed Jesus. I mean, how difficult of a life did John have to live? To where all that work that he was preparing for, he acknowledged and freely let it go, knowing that he was just starting something. He wasn't there to finish it. And when you think about the people in your life, are you satisfied when, when you just acknowledge, well, that relationship that I had that didn't work out, I can just take it for what it was. I don't have to hold on to it. I can let it go. I don't have to keep trying to, to resurrect something that's dead. They're moving on and I need to move on too. Can you be like John and just let people go and just know that that was just part of your life? Or do you try to just continue to kick that dead horse and beat it and beat it, thinking that one day it's going to get up? Y'all dig what I'm saying? You could even argue that John was a person that was used. He was used. People would use him to get closer to God. And once they felt spiritually satisfied, they're like, all right, well, I don't need you anymore in my life. And there's going to be people like that as you're walking in Christ, as you're developing and maturing as a Christian, where they're going to come to you and they just want prayer that one day, that one week they want just someone to talk to. And then they'll leave. They'll just leave. You might have even sacrificed. You might have even taken them out to eat. You paid for the food. You sacrificed a good bit. Time, energy, money. And then they just leave. It's hard to let go sometimes. And you take it personal and start thinking, well, what did I do wrong? Everyone's thought that before. What did I do wrong? What, what did I do that pushed them away? You got to just understand that sometimes people just leave. And it's not anything that you did that was wrong. It's just, that's just life. Y'all dig what I'm saying? That's why as Christians, we're, we're misfits in this world. It just doesn't fit in sometimes. But look, let, let's end on this thought. You know what's the biggest prison is when you start trying to please people. It's a prison. The pleasing prison. And we're going to look at King Saul and the, 
the last verse I want to give you guys to start off this last point is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23 to 23. And this is right when Saul's kingdom started to go downward spiral. It says, But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. There's a lot that happens in King Saul's life. Right here, this is where we see the pivotal point of his demise. And this, this tone is that if you were to just be obedient to what God told you in the first place, one he would have been more pleased than anything else. Two, you wouldn't have even had to make all the sacrifices that you tried to make. That just a simple obedience is better than sacrifice. That's kind of hard for us to understand. But I want you to think of maybe a, a work scenario or a family scenario where either the boss or dad or mom says, go do this. Go make up these reports. Or go take out the trash. And instead of simply doing what you're supposed to do, you, you do something else. You, you wipe down the countertops again. You, you, uh, you go and see a customer or, or you go try to make a sale. And even though you try to cover it up with doing something good, at the end of the day, you just didn't do what was simply asked of you. And sometimes in our relationship with God, we try to cover up our lack of commitment to him by doing these extra spiritual things. And we try to neglect our simple disobedience and say, yeah, but God, look, I did this. And God is saying, well, what does that matter if you, if you ignored this? Y'all get what I'm saying? See, the thing about Saul is that he did try, he, choose, he chose to regard the opinions of men greater than the opinion of God. And when told God, when, when, when Samuel told that God had abandoned him, there's a point in scripture. I want to encourage you guys, look at Saul in, in 1 Samuel. Just read through 1 Samuel. And there's a part where when, when Samuel told him, God is taking away the kingdom from you. When he tells him this part right here is more pleasing to just be obedient to God. He says, God's, God's left you. And Samuel was about to leave too. He's like, I can't believe you, you did that. And he's walking away. And Saul begs him, says, no, please stay with me so that the people will see you with me and still show me honor and respect. So even at God leaving him, he was still so much more concerned with the way people saw him than he even cared about God being with him or not. Well, God, Samuel, what are people going to think about me? Please just go down with me this one last time. And he had so much more emotion and remorse over that than his actual relationship with God. He abandoned his own calling in order to keep more people around. This last scenario, one scenario that happens is that Saul was a king. Samuel was a high priest. He was a prophet of the land and only the priest was allowed to make the sacrifices for God in those times. 
And while he was waiting, Samuel told him to wait till he comes to make the sacrifice before they went into battle. And some time had elapsed. And it was on the last day that he was supposed to be waiting for him. And he got impatient. And some of the men in war started to get afraid and they started to leave. And so Saul, wanting to keep more people around, ended up just making the sacrifice himself. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. Guys, don't leave. Don't leave. I'm going to do it. Don't worry. And he, just to keep more people around, he ended up abandoning his calling to king. He was supposed to be the king, not the priest. And see, you'll end up doing things that you were never meant to do if you focus on trying to keep more people around you. You just need to stick to what you're called to do in God. Maybe you're not the person that's supposed to be doing this. You just need to do that. Don't try to do somebody else's gift. Don't try to do someone else's calling. You were you meant to be you, not somebody else. Even young leaders that I've talked to, very often they, they admire one, a, a certain pastor or preacher. And these young ministers that I'll meet, and they, they literally try to sound like that that pastor, that preacher. When they talk, they try to sound like Stephen Furtick. Try to talk like him and even do the same kind of like, like moves and gestures that he does. And it ends up just being really weird. There is even one time, a story of a young man that at a youth conference during worship, he looked over and saw somebody else worshiping and they were like just supernatural and uh, not supernatural, but very natural in their worship. And they're just really getting into it. They were like grooving, you know, and, and in their worship with God. And he was looking over and, and you could see that he started trying to like manipulate and try to do the same kind of gestures that he, this other guy was doing. Because he thought, well, maybe if I do what he's doing, it'll bring me closer to God too. And he ended up just being like this weird, like <laughs> cat having a seizure. It just looked weird. And you often end up being so weird trying to copy somebody else if you were to just be you. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Another thing about Samuel is that even when he did that, this specific act of making the offering himself, he took something that was spiritual and made it, made it into something that's just going through the motions. He said, well, it just needs to be done, so I'm going to just do it. And just as he was, he thought he could do something very spiritual as something that was just ordinary. We just need to get groceries, so I'm going to just go to the grocery store. But see, Samuel, he's, a, he's, a, he's the guy. He's the prophet. What he was doing, he's probably, he's been fasting. He's been praying. He's been connecting to God. Don't you think that that spiritual stuff that he was doing was meaningful to the sacrifice that was about to be made? But Saul just thought, well, it just needs to be done. And he just thought it was going through the motions. And finally, something about Saul is that he destroyed his future because of his insecurities and worries of people thinking less than him. See, Saul's successor was David. David is the one that God promised to keep the kingdom and his family lineage forever. And there's just one moment where David killed Goliath 
And he started becoming this great warrior for the, the, the kingdom of Israel. And there's one day where they came back from battle. And while the people would say, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And this simple song incited so much insecurity and so much jealousy that he began to despise David. And he, from that point on, he tried to kill David because of his jealousy. Because of how insecure he was in his role, in his place. All he would have had to do was just pat David on the back. Like, see that, David? You're, you're the coming up guy, man. You're gonna, this is all going to be yours. And he would have been a mentor to David that he would have honored for the rest of his life. He could have even just taken the credit. Yeah, that's my boy. I raised him like that. I, I taught him to kill those tens of thousands. He could have just been happy for David. And it would have gone so much better for Saul's life, for his, for his legacy. But because he tried to destroy David, it ended up just destroying his own future. And anyone that's been in a relationship where one person is enormously jealous you know how quickly those insecurities can ruin that relationship. That's, that's what pleasing people does. And that's what our insecurities do. And when Saul's made, a, he made so many dumb decisions. And all of his effort, it's, it's so sad when you read at the, about the beginning of his life to the end. Because at the beginning, you see that he didn't really care too much about what people thought. When Saul was first made king, it said that there is a band of people that went around saying, he can't be king, he's a loser. And they refused, they refused his kingdomship. And it says that he didn't even regard those people. He said, just let him be. They said, do you want us to kill him? He said, no, just, it's fine. But by the end of it, he's trying so hard to please people, get people to like him. He locks himself in this prison to where his whole future is a downward spiral. His spiritual life is a downward spiral. It's all lost because he's just trying to please others. And for all of the, the dumb decisions that he made, when you read through this book of 1 Samuel, and you read through some of the things that he does, he tries to make up all this lost spirituality with random acts of spiritual sounding things. There is a moment where when they were in battle and, and Saul wanted so badly for God to cause them to have victory. Now he told all the soldiers during this war that we're going to fast until it's done. We're going to fast until the victory is ours. Because we're putting it all before God so he could bring us the victory. See, that was just such a dumb thing. It says that People got so hungry that when they finally did get victory, that they didn't even cook the meat. That they, as, soon as, as soon as there was a nearby cow, that they literally just started eating it because of how hungry these men were. Can you imagine that? And they, in, in that culture, in the laws of Leviticus, it was, it was sinful for them to eat the blood of animals. And see that... Saul's done, he does so many things that are, when you read about it, it's like, man, this is so dumb. Why would he do this right now? And it's, be, it's just like when you have a, a, a parent that tries to make up for lost time. That's what we try to do spiritually when we, when we just try to make up for our disobedience spiritually. 
We do these random spurts like, I'm going to read the Bible in 30 days. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a, a super fast. And I'm not going to eat or drink anything. And we end up failing at those, those random spurts. And the only reason we do them in the first place is try to make up for the lack of spirituality we have on an ongoing basis. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And though we're, we're looking at all of these different voices of others, I think one thing that, that the voice that we struggle with the most is the voice of what we think of ourselves. The voice that we, of what we think God is saying to us. And though what others say can be good or bad, what we think about God is something that we usually really value. And how we think God sees us will either cause us to grow closer to him or farther away. And I don't know about you, but I usually can be very consistent in thinking that God's mad at me. That he thinks low of me. And those voices get so loud when I try to do something right. And all of a sudden I, I, I start just feeling so insecure and thinking God's probably thinking, who do you think you are? You can't do this. Look at you. Look at what you did last week. You couldn't even do this right. And you start having this developed idea of what God's voice is telling you. There's a really powerful song by Misty Edwards called Killing Me With Mercy. And she sings about this perception from Peter. And, And she says, How am I supposed to worship a God that's so humble? It's killing me to worship a God that's so humble. I'd rather you be angry and make me pay, but you're killing me with mercy. See, it's, man, it's such a powerful song. Some of the lyrics go on to say, I'll draw a sword for you. I'll I'll die for you. But when when the rooster crows, I've already denied you. I want to do all these great things, but I can't even do this right. And then after all that, you're sitting at, you're kneeling at my feet, washing them. You're killing me with mercy. See, the voice that I want you to get in your your head is that God's voice over you is love, is mercy. The Romans says that his kindness draws us to repentance. Think about that, that the Bible tells us that's not the fear of God that draws us to repentance, but his kindness. The thought of, man, if God loves me this much, how could I turn away? I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. We've all had broken vows that we've made to God. We've all said, God, I'm going to do this from now on and have fallen short. We've all tried our best and felt like we didn't do enough. But God's voice over you is so much stronger and more powerful than the voices of people around you. We may fail with a normal person and they would leave us or reject us or hate us. But when it's, when it's God, He stays there with His arms wide open. And so if you're here 
and you want to make a decision to put your trust into this voice, the voice of God. You want to put your hope and your heart in Him. Stop worrying about pleasing others, but start looking at this idea of pleasing Him. The first and only thing you got to do right now is believe in His Son and put your trust in Him. And if that's you and you want to do that today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. Amen. And so, if you rose your hand, or if you've already given your life to Christ, I want you to repeat this prayer too as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm done pleasing people. I want to please you, God. I trust in your voice more than any other voice. I believe that you love me, that you care about me, and that you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're the only way that I can be made right with you. So I surrender now. How many be sensitive to your voice, to be obedient to your voice, and to, be, to fit into my calling? In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.